Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Walk Down Memory Lane. Wayne Soares here with you. And our program today is brought to you by our friends at Sweet Heel, Purity, Clarity, CBD Oil. What a great, great, great pleasure to have on the program this morning one of my all-time favorites and uh, Boston sportscasting legend Bob Lobel. Bob, thanks for being with us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Wayne. It's obviously a long walk down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, uh, you are probably – I don't think there's ever been someone this the city of Boston just just embraced you. I think you came from did you come from um are you working at a station in New Hampshire? Yes, and then you, I was. And, I, then, and then you got here in 76, right? That's when you joined WBZ. Right. I was I started in Vermont and then came to New Hampshire and then came right down the Merrimack River down to WBZ, right? And you actually have a masters from the University of Vermont, don't you? I do. It was it's in education and that's that's what I had planned to do and you know, got derailed along the line, but I've had a, you know a chance to use it a little bit. But no, that's exactly right. You you know, uh, I I got to go back to this again about the city just embracing you. I I don't think there's ever been a a fit. I mean, you were the man for many years when you were sportscaster director well, at WBZ. I, I, that's very flattering, and uh, for whatever, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. A lot of things happened in the right place at the right time you know that phrase and you know what that means it's uh yes sir it's applicable to a lot of situations and that that might have been it we were all very fortunate i know lynch and i talk about it a lot because we we both were you know we were competitors and then we were really good friends and mm. between the, you know there were three stations there were it was kind of the heyday of boston sports both from a positive and both from a disappointing standpoint and I don't know. It was just one of those things that is unexplainable and very fortunate, in fact, that it happened. I, it was it's like it's like a huge family. You know, and I'm glad you touched on that, Bob, because I thought that the team that you guys had at WBZ back in the day, Jack Williams and, of course, Liz Walker, right. um, what, what was – you had amazing chemistry – with Liz Walker, and I'm going to go back to a, a good friend of ours when I was breaking into the business. Mark Ventry uh, called you up and and asked you to take some time, and and you met me at WBZ, and I, I think I mentioned this to you uh, when when I wrote you a note to asking you to be on the show, and uh, you introduced me as an aspiring sportscaster. This is Wayne Soares, my good friend, who's an aspiring sportscaster, and the first person I met was Liz Walker, and I almost <laughs> fell over. She's just a, a sweetheart of a person. Um, a, a very, very extremely talented, talented young lady. But you guys, what was the, what was so, what made you guys click? Because you guys were just unbelievable on air. I, I don't know, except the fact that I, we were like a family, and we, you know, we. I think with Schwegler and Joyce Kalhawick, uh, you know, that kind of rounded out the group, and uh, we, we all had a pretty good sense of humor mm. and. And I think we all didn't take ourselves that seriously, except for Jack. <laughs> and we all, we all, we teased him unmercifully about stuff like that. And you know, he he was a great talent. He should have been a game show host, not a uh, newscaster. But it was just everybody just had a really good sense of humor and good feeling about themselves. And everybody knew, kind of knew everybody else, their strengths and weaknesses, and. 
played on the strengths and stayed away from the weak the weaknesses. Yeah, well, that was certainly evident when you were uh, watching TV, watching you folks. Um, you you also did a tremendous amount of charity events. I, I I don't care what it was, you always saw Bob LaBelle at a at a charity. Well, we, event. you know, they had that children's hospital telethon uh, every Christmas. It was all you know, Rudolph the Red. It was just a lot of stuff. It was a different world, Wayne. You know mm. that. Mm. Mm. I mean, it was, um, yeah, person, the, the, the TV people in Boston then were like celebrities. They were like, I don't want to say movie stars, but in, in any way they were pretty close <laughs> in, in some markets. They were, you know, that was exaggerated. This was one of those markets where that was exaggerated. Mm. Wasn't so much the case in. Atlanta or New York or you know they were TV news people, but in Boston for some reason it was different with Natalie and Chet and Lynchy and Dick Albert and everybody had their own niche, you know. And it was uh, yeah, yeah, we competed and all that stuff, but that's kind of the engine that that drove it. But we were lucky. We were everybody. And as I gotta say it again, to have, to have been there, to have you know collected those memories and. I had a chance to talk about it afterwards. It's been it's been good, but yeah, we were all pretty confident of ourselves, except for Jack. Jack was a little insecure. <laughs> we're chatting uh, today with uh, Boston sportscasting legend Bob Lobel here on a walk down memory lane. Uh, I, I watched a sports final, and and I think only somebody like yourself could have gotten uh, at eleven thirty at night. Ted Williams, Bobby Orr, and Larry Bird into the into the studio at, at that time of the evening um what was um, what, what what was what was ted williams like rico petroselli good friend was was on on our program uh, several shows ago and and said he used to just he was like a little kid at spring training and and hitting fungos to the to the outfielders and, and he'd, he'd hit them so that they would just be six to eight inches just away from him. he did it every time he had tremendous bat control was great hitter as we all know but what was what was ted williams like did you ever get a chance to kind of know him personally oh yeah in a lot of situations and um he was clearly bigger than life and when he walked into a room he just sucked the energy out of it i mean it's interesting because he and liz walker had a lot of co- a lot in common they were two of the most powerful people i've ever met energy wise and they just i, I can I remember I had a very good the good fortune of having a chance to go down to Florida and do some commercials with Ted for his place in Florida at Citrus Hills. And the guy he owned, who owned Citrus Hills was from Nashua, uh, Sam Tamposi, and he uh, he and I were pretty good friends. So he we we got on a plane and went down there and did this stuff with Ted, and we ended up playing golf with him. Uh, and he'd hit a he did a really good shot. And he'd say, "Yeah, that's the Teddy ball game." I know <laughs> he was just he would he just was bigger than life. And then on the other hand, he'd hit a bad shot, and he could, he had the the art, if you want to call it an art, of stringing swear words together to make a total sentence. <laughs> he's I, I I'm not going to repeat it, but I can come up with five straight square swear. Uh, words he put together to make a perfect sentence, and it was the most ridiculous and horrible thing I've ever heard. And it's not, it just was amazing how, how you know, both 
Well, I would just say positive and negative he could be. He was just bigger than life, that's all I can say. Mm, mm. Uh, I, I, I understand through uh, several players um, that he brought cursing to a, to a whole new whole new level. No, art, yeah, no question, absolutely. No whole new art form. I, but, I, I went to his camp, Bob, um, for four wow. years, and the last year— uh, in Lakeville, the last he he came in, and it was really like like the Pope, you know, coming into New York City or coming into Boston or any major oh, yeah. city in America. And I was always amazed, very 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 gruff, you know. But he you 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 saw the guy had a heart. He really had a great affinity for for yeah. young kids. And I remember him asking, uh, "This is a true story." He, he, his book um, that he that he came out with. And he asked a kid, he was given a lecture one night, I was next to the kid, and he goes, what's the most important thing in my book? And the kid, the kid <laughs> kind of looked at him and said, uh, I, I don't know. And he looked at me and I said, get a good pitch to hit. And he goes, this goddamn kid, this kid knows. He read the book right here. This kid read yeah, the book. And- no, that, absolutely, that sounds perfectly like him. <laughs> that's, was- the, that's the best Ted Williams imitation I've heard. <laughs> What about what about Bobby Orr? I know you enjoyed and, and still do enjoy a great, great relationship. You guys were doing Bay Bank commercials, doing all kinds of commercials right. back in the day. Right. What, what what obviously everybody knows he's a he's a really, really, really good guy. Um I read read his his uh first book that he came out with, and I, I was really amazed at how light that he went on Alan Eagleson. I mean Yeah, that was I don't think that's I mean that's or Mm-hmm. Um, being or, but I don't think that was his true feelings. Mm. And I, in fact, I know it wasn't his true feelings. Mm. I mean, he couldn't, he wouldn't dare, I don't think, get into his true feelings in public. I mean, in private, he would, because what Eagleson did to him is unconscionable. Right. I mean, it's just, uh, but, but yeah, you know, having said that, or was kind of a shy, bashful kid from uh, Perry Sound, Ontario, and, you know, became one of the greatest that ever played the game. And uh, he had that whole Canadian upbringing and personality that, you know, Mm. set hockey players apart from every other athlete, as you and I both know. Mm. You know, hockey players were always the easiest ones to deal with and the best of the best. And Orr was at the the top of that class, Mm. for sure. But there was a lot more to him than that. He wasn't just a shy kid, you know. After a while, he yeah, and, and with the people like Eagleson, and not everybody was was kind to him. And I, I think that it, it kind of left him wary and and you know more aware of the, what could happen if you're not paying attention. Mm. You can't be nice all the time. Is what I guess I'm trying to say. Right, right. Well, that's a great point. That's a really, really great point, and I'm I'm just have, I've always been amazed that he was never really an an, an emotional guy. You never saw him. I mean, even uh, I was surprised when they retired his number that he kept it in when they retired his number that night at the Garden, and uh, right. he was able to he didn't really get emotional. He got a little bit choked up, but um, just an just an amazing an amazing amazing man. Uh, I remember in the night. I mean, I I met his father, and. I think his mother came to see him play once in Boston. Mm-hmm. I mean, these were things that I think were really emotional to him mm. and for him. But on the other hand, he he was a really private guy. I mean, in, in many ways, I, you know, I don't you cannot 
go through life and have that kind of adulation uh, and expect it to be in any way, shape, or form normal. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. There's, there's so many different forces that play on you. Uh, and, I mean, he's handled it as, about as, as well as, as anybody could. Like a true, true total, total true pro. I, I love the, um, he actually talked about it, I think, in his book. Um, somebody asked his mother how, how her famous son was doing, and she said, uh, which one? I have three. <laughs> I, I, I thought that, that was fabulous. No, absolutely. I think absolutely. I mean, it kind of shows Wayne what their background was like. Mm. Mm. You know, this was this was playing hockey in Canada. This was, uh, you know, this was raising kids in Canada. It was a lot, a lot different. The culture was totally different, as we both know. Mm. Mm. How was your How was your relationship with Larry Bird? Well, I don't. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It wasn't anything. I mean, we had. Mm. It was a strictly professional relationship. We'd joke around about a few things and from time to time. And, you know, he, but it wasn't like, I don't know. It was, I've had a, my, my closest relationship with an athlete was with Fisk. And my mm. least closest relationship with an athlete was probably Jim Rice. Mm. But uh, I just think that, you know, and Bird was was somewhere in between. I mean, I he, I, I, I don't know how to. That's a really interesting question because I don't think no one's ever asked me that question before, mm. and I never really have thought about it. I mean, I just I covered him. I mean, as a fan, I'd go to games just to watch him make a pass, mm. and I and uh, it was the game was different back then. Uh, I think that. Uh, you know, I don't know what he thought of me. I know what I thought of him, but I don't know what he thought of me. And I never, you know, I never asked or or wondered about it. I just figured he was the one of the greatest that ever played the game, mm, and yeah. we were lucky to watch him. Yes, yes. I um I went to his uh, camp um as as a You're junior. unbelievable. Is he doing exciting <laughs> <a> school? <laughs> yeah, I was a, Bob. I was an athlete student. Okay, not a wow. student athlete. I, I love that. Re, re, I redefined it. Believe me. Uh, oh my God, that's fantastic. I went to North Adams State College, and they said that I I went there for two terms, Reagan's and Bushes. But the the long story <laughs> is, it's like good one. I like that. I, I went ahead, and uh, you know, I got my degree. But uh, I had a chance to to go there um, as a junior, uh, the Larry Bird Basketball School. Well, and, you can tell me more what he's like than I could ever tell you what he's like. Well, he he was a, he was a guy that. Um, all Always, always around the kids. He would eat with everybody. And as a matter of fact, I think, um, uh, oh, goodness gracious, Bob Branham, uh, former former legendary Celtic, he was one of the, the counselors there. And, and one day, uh, Larry was, nobody knew it, but he was banging on the table because we were getting ready to eat. And they, something happened in the in the kitchen, which which caused us to wait like ten or fifteen minutes. And Branham, it was a massive, massive man, and yes. and and came in, and uh, he's like, "Hey, you know, big, deep voice, and you guys shut up and everything." And then he looked over, and Larry had that little sheepish, you know, look on his face. But right. I, I, I will tell you this, Bob, I saw him obviously play in the garden, but they had a pickup game one night with the counselors, and and Larry played, and he was absolutely, positively amazing. I mean, just just where you separate, you know, he had a couple guys that, that that played, you know, D1 ball and and played in college, but he was just he just put on a he put on a show. He was he was absolutely amazing. It's I, amazing. It it really really is. 
Um, did you? Have- I would have killed to see that. I, I mean, I spent. Believe it or not, I was actually in French Lick, Indiana, before he was uh, in at Indiana State, and um, so I knew a little bit about the, the town. I knew a little bit about the, there was a big resort there. Mm-hmm. I knew a little bit about. You know, growing up in the Midwest since I was in Ohio and he was from Indiana. And so I kind of personalities were, you know, similar and both having been in, in Boston and having to make that adjustments. But having seen him and watched him play at Indiana State and having known some people at the faculty at Indiana State uh, while he was there, really got an insight into him as a player. And when he was drafted by Auerbach, he year ahead of time it was uh, pure genius because he was unbelievable i mean people yeah i know these guys today are unbelievable but it was a, the game was different and the three-point shot wasn't there until chris ford initiated it and it was a whole as as you know it was a different game mm. Mm. in many ways shapes and form and larry was perfect perfect did you have any um, favorite players? I know you said well, you had a relationship I, with Fisk, but I know actually my my favorite player to hang around and be around was ML Carr. Oh, he's uh, amazing because he was as, as funny as as he came. It was just we were at a luncheon once with Will McDonough and ML was there because he had written he had just come out with a book and Will had the great line of saying ML wrote a book before he read one, which I thought was really <laughs> pretty funny. I'll never forget that line. And it, was, it, was a, it was a great line. And oh. M- of course, ML loved it too. ML was very self-deprecating. and He was really good. We had, and then we used to do a show called Ask ML. It was a segment in our 5 30 News once a week, Ask ML. And we'd go to a high school with him. And kids would, it was like Karnak, uh, when Johnny Carson had Karnak uh, and the Magnificent and ML would and we'd ask questions and he'd be he'd do bits he'd do anything that wow. uh, he was great ML was great great uh, that's a great 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 piece there uh, also for the for the viewers um, how did you how did you get along with the with the ownership back in the day of um, you know the Red Sox how did you get along with not well the, the, not very very tenuous just. Really? Best. Uh, yeah, I did not get along well with John Harrington and um, that whole group. I was I was pretty good friends with Buddy Larue and uh, you know at least knew them and mm-hmm. they made themselves available. And then when Haywood Sullivan, I was really at odds with Haywood Sullivan. Became, was really became very good friends with his daughter and. Haywood reminded me of my father in a lot of ways, and hey, but Haywood was, you know, the Yawkeys. Just it was, it was kind of a nightmare. The whole Yawkey Trust thing, and uh, mm. I did not get along with them very well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so anyway, that, no. That, that regime, though, go, going back to what you said, they they were a little bit different. You know, they. I, I always thought that they didn't have their. I didn't think they had their heart in the game. Just my well, no, they had they had their money in the game. Yeah. Yeah. It was all. It was the Yawkey Trust. I mean, I say what you want about. Okay, Tom Yawkey was a product of growing up in South Carolina, mm. and he was that product and a plantation guy. And who knows what Gene Yawkey was really like, or 
what her background and Harrington was an he was an auditor or whatever accountant. He mm-hmm. was an accountant, and he rose to through the ranks by manipulation. I just thought they were it was a, he was a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And that, that, anyway, that's the relationship wasn't that good, but I, it was all on the basis of trying to you know enjoy the sports and make sure that sports was always fun. And that was kind of like the non-fun side of it. They were like the villains. And uh, mm. I never was a fan of Jeremy Jacobs. I don't think he was a fan of mine either. Mm. And uh, I'm sure he would say that. I thought he was really a rude man. Mm. And I still think that he's got, you know, he's, he doesn't really care about whether they win or lose, except if it has to do with the bottom line. That's exactly right. The whole, the whole thing, you know, you can go back to all the Patriot ownership you say all the negative things you want about Billy Sullivan, but he brought pro football to New England. To New England, that's right. And you know, and Kraft kept it here for the most part. Um, so, so they were like, you know, they had a few owners, Kayam and Orthwine, and I mean the Victor Kayam days. Come on, the Patriot ownerships was was terrible. Mm. It was a disaster. Uh, but it's, it's stabilized and. The league stabilized, and Kraft was the right guy in the right place at the right time for the NFL. And it benefit, benefited him, and it benefited the league. And uh, I was a lot closer to him at the beginning than I was toward the end. I th- there were some issues. We had some some falling out issues about things we had reported and everything else. But that's you know that's all one water under the bridge. Those were the those were the other things. I. I don't know what other sports there were. Oh, the Celtics. Well, they had so many owners, it didn't matter because <laughs> I guess Harry Mangurian was probably the best one that we had, and the Gastons were a disaster. They were a disaster, yeah. Yeah. Uh, didn't you actually fill in for Johnny Most one night? Or you filled in several times for the legendary yeah, well, podcast? I, I had, yes, I did. I, yeah. I did. I worked with him two years in color uh, before Glenn Ordway did. And, uh, when they st- they moved over to wherever they, they went, EEI or wherever they went, um, they were on BZ, and uh, so I did color for two years for the home games with most. And he, there were times when he was sick, Wayne, at that time, and he couldn't go. And then it was actually like maybe almost less than a month when I'd gone to WBC to do the radio, they sent me out to Detroit to do a game with uh, the Pistons at Cobo Hall uh, to fill in for most because he couldn't do it. I can't tell you what a thrill that was Mm. on Armed Forces Radio and all the stuff that went along with it. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It was pretty amazing. But anyway, yeah, and then the whole Johnny Most thing. He was unbelievable. The whole maybe there were so many characters in Boston at that time. That's right. Uh, it was just so many characters. I mean, Lynch and I we do a podcast, and we, we were talking about this. So many great personalities that were you know quotable and to be around with Harry Sinden and Parcells and guys like Johnny Most and just endless. But not so much anymore. Everything's become so many so much more sterilized. I can't imagine what it'd be like, Wayne. It's, to have to do Zoom interviews day oh. in, day out. Yeah. Off, it's awful. I mean, it's like the sports to me is almost unwatchable. Right. I agree. Completely I mean, agree. I, it's not, it has nothing to do with 
who's pulling the trigger or who the, you know, the anchor sports anchor is. They all seem like decent guys, but it's unwatchable to me because of the stupid zoom stuff. Yeah. You just can't get into it. You, you, you can't get into it. Can't, absolutely not. Um, wonderful to, to hear you say at the beginning of the show that, uh, you know, you and, uh, Mike Lynch were competitors, but you, you enjoy a great friendship. Now you do a, do a podcast together. He always struck me as another, as another real class act, very, very, very good reporter, well-liked, uh, you know, great family man, uh, just a really, really, really good guy. He was a good guy and they were, they were their own family over there and we had our own at channel four and, you know, Lynch and I, you know, we always, we always had John Dennis as the third, you know, three or there were three of us. And Lynch and I kind of have had a similar feeling about Dino. We weren't really close, but we, Lynch and I would joke about him from time to time, but it, it kind of brought us a little closer together. I mean, three's, two's company, three's a crowd. Mm. And when, when you got three, two of them are going to go up against the third. And that's kind of the way it was. It was uh, Lynch and I used to have lots of Dino conversations and, you know, not malicious stuff, but we would joke around it about it and just, it was, it was the way it was. That's, you know, we, we became close friends and the podcast is, I really have enjoyed doing it. That's, that's wonderful. Wonderful. So many amazing memories that you have, Bob. Uh, a, a fantastic, fantastic career. Uh, how, how does Bob Lobel want to be remembered? <laughs> like, why can't we get players like that? <laughs> you should have had T-shirts made up. You'd, you'd, you'd be I a know, multimillionaire had, right now. I had one T-shirt made up. That was uh, seriously. That's about uh, the extent of it. Anyway, that's. I don't know. I don't. I think it would. First of all, they're going to forget about you. You got to keep that in mind. Mm. Except you kind of hope your home, your your family understands why you did what you did, mm-hmm. and and the reasons, and maybe they they would appreciate it. But I, I guess, I guess the way we're talking about, you know, it's you can do whatever you want if you if you're in the right place at the right time and things work out and. Try not to hurt anybody, and you try to be entertaining. But if you have to have a sense of humor, that doesn't hurt either, does it? I no. think that's the most important thing of all. That's I, I completely agree, and you certainly you had that in in spades. Uh, just amazing. Um, always admired your charity work. Loved your work on air, and I really well, want to thank you so much for for taking the time to be with us today. You've been very kind, Wayne, and I really appreciate it. I'm glad you even thought about me, so I, thanks again. You're one of, one of my best, and I'll never forget that day, and I'll remember it for as long as I live. <laughs> to Liz Walker, this is my good friend Wayne Soares, aspiring sportscaster, and I almost, there you go. I almost fainted. So, uh, again, greatly appreciate you uh, taking the time, and, and I hope uh, that we can, we can stay in contact. All right, have a great holiday. Thanks a lot. Wayne. Yes, stay you too, safe. Bob. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bob Lobel has been my guest here in a walk down memory lane. What a great, great, great time here today chatting with the Boston sportscasting legend. Our program today, once again, is brought to you by Sweet Heel. Until next time, make it a great day.